USAA is proudly celebrating 100 years of serving the military community. It was a group of soldiers who launched USAA in 1922 by joining together to insure each other's vehicles when no one else would. Since then, USAA has grown to more than 13 million members strong. And through it all, one thing has remained. USAA is still serving the military community and their families. Find out more at USAA.com slash 100. And hot! Welcome to the Veterans Voice, presented by USAA. Veterans Voice is a service of Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center, originating from the Optum Podcast Studio, in partnership with podcast channel sponsor, Medicare Mentors, technology partner, Colorado Computer Support, and supporting partner, the WireNut Home Services. Today on the podcast, we have retired Green Beret with one tour in Vietnam from 1969 to 1970 as a Hatchet Force platoon leader for Mac V. Sog, who went by the codename Mongoose. He's a husband, father, and proud grandfather. He's a hunter, fisherman, cowboy action shooter, and a Colorado vocational instructor retired. Today we have John Bartlett. How's it going, John? It's, I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me here. Welcome to the Veterans Voice Podcast. How's it feel? Oh, a little daunting. <laughs> uh, first rodeo for me here uh, on this type of yeah, po- a podcast. But uh, again, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, it, it's quite a journey to, and I'm going to call it a healing journey, Okay. to go over the history of my bio. It's, it's even kind of cleansing for me. Sure. Uh, and I, I do want to do this, and I have some things to share that I help hope help others. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the whole point of having you on. Uh, you have a very extensive history in the military, but you're also, how old are you, 70? I'm 75. You got a lot of lessons for us young cats out here that we need to learn, so uh, I'd like to capture a lot of those through your entire biography and you know help this younger generation kind of get on their feet. Uh, and thank you again for that opportunity, and let me explain why. Uh, when I was getting ready to get on the bus here in Colorado Springs to go to the induction center in Denver to start the military part of my life, my dad uh, and mom seen me off there. Dad was a World War II cruiser sailor. Uh, he had eight battle stars, which means uh, he was in eight major engagements, naval engagements. Wow. And he received the Silver Star for Gallantry at Guadalcanal when the cruiser ship Astoria that he was serving on sank. Mm. They lost hundreds of sailors and Marines that day. Dad and my uncle survived. Wow. Uh, I was a real smarty, okay, loudmouth punk high school guy. I had all the answers in my mind anyway. (laughs) And uh, my dad looked. As we were shaking hands, he looked me in the eye, and the tone of his voice and the choice of words startled me. He said to me, John, if you want to live through this, you better find some good sergeants and listen to them. Mm. That proved accurate beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I link that to this is my chance to share some knowledge or wisdom or at least experience Mm -hmm. that may help. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going into this with the same outlook. Yes. So I'm honored to host and have you and interview you, and you sound honored to put this information out there so we can create something pretty great today. 
<laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, just I'll outline the the entire podcast. I'd like to start back in your childhood, just kind of where your family came from, where you grew up, uh, home life, parents, siblings, things like that. Okay. And then we'll go into how you got into the military. Then obviously your time in the military. And then some post-military time. What did you do as a civilian for work? Things like that. How did you find purpose after the military, um, after being in during such a difficult time in our country's history? And then, uh, you know, any other words of wisdom towards the end there? And uh, okay. yeah, how's that sound? You'll help me stay on track as yeah, you go. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank I <got> you. A, <laughs> I got a notebook with 12 pages of bullets in here. Uh, all right. Hopefully I can stay on track. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So where'd you grow up, John? Right here in Colorado Springs. That's awesome. Uh, my great-grandfather, Ephraim Bartlett, came to this very area in 1848 wow. from Bethel, Maine. He was 12 years old, an indentured apprentice, blacksmith, and wagon wheel maker. Wow. Uh, before him, the Bartlett family uh, was a fairly common name. It was Bartlett, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those days, uh, came to Plymouth in 1623. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, the reason was uh, they, the four brothers, were on the wrong side of the Battle of Argyle, which was against the king, mm-hmm. and the choice was basically the gallows or get on the boat. And uh, he came. Not with his brothers, he came separately. So they missed the first Thanksgiving mm. type deal. <laughs> Stayed around Bethel to the colonial wars and then went other places. If you served in the military, they paid you with land grants, mm-hmm. and that's what they wanted. So that's how they got to Bethel from oh, okay. Plymouth. Uh, earlier, uh, they came to the British Isles with William the Conqueror in the Battle of 1066 at Hastings, got the coat of arms mm. then, and I guess they couldn't be happy with the king or whatever and, you know, got got ushered out type, type of thing. Um, as we look at the uh, family tree, uh, they did serve, three generations served in the American Revolution. Uh, I believe three of them were women mm-hmm. type. Uh, the rest, men, Continental Army, or Minutemen mm-hmm. ty- type thing. Uh, interesting tidbit on the side is one of the granddads was 60-plus years old but still required to serve. Mm-hmm. So, But you had the option to bring somebody else that would serve for you. I'm mm-hmm. sure it was a, a financial arrangement. Right. And when they reported in, the colonel said, oh, thank you for the enlistee. We appreciate the soldier. And by the way, we need a cook. Uh, you're shanghai <laughs> So he got to stay uh, and later applied for a retirement, but uh, was denied because he wasn't a soldier. He was a mm. servant type, okay. type thing. So it all backfired for him. One Uncle Jonathan, Uncle Jonathan, Granddad Jonathan, <laughs> crossed the Delaware with Washington. Wow. And uh, his background was interesting. Uh, they had to record their service with two observers mm-hmm. to get their retirement and report to their past commander for signature. Uh, he said, in the beginning, I was serving for uh, uh, General Benedict, mm-hmm. and then he left. And I didn't know what to do, so I went back to the farm. Mm-hmm. They served short uh, enlistments to take care of the farm at home. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And I, I couldn't imagine when your general was taken away from you and you're fighting the strongest army in the world. Mm. You know, but he said, I went back and served the rest of the war with General Washington. And uh, we enjoyed that uh, little bit of humor. And uh, when th there's a very fine uh, port um, picture of that and General Washington standing up in the front of the boat. And I often wondered, well, which one's granddad, Jonathan? Well, none of them. Uh, that picture was painted quite a few years after, and those were the artist's friends mm. in there. Silly me, you know, I uh, they didn't have a camera to take a picture mm -hmm. so they could paint it, but right. he, he did, did make it through. Uh, our family has served in most of the wars down through the generations. I believe there's 13 generations. 13 we, generations of war fighters. Yes. Wow. Uh, we did not get involved with the war on terrorism okay. or, or, or Afghanistan type, type thing. Mm -hmm. um, the, for them, and the way I grew up, was you go in to the military, it's your duty as a citizen, and you do your time, and you do a good job, and you come home with an honorable discharge. You look and find for a good job, uh, and the best part's a good woman settled down and have kids most of our ancestry is blue collar type mm -hmm. type thing. That's uh, a what do they call that? The American dream. Yeah, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> well, it was like for that. us, and we were raised accordingly. Yeah, and without any modesty about it, that, that's what young men do. Yeah, and you need to get busy and do a good job of it. Was how my dad and uncles mm -hmm. uh, had served, and that's what. And one great uncle served in World War One mm -hmm. type type thing. Uh, I didn't know any different yeah. type thing. Uh, I was surprised when people in the 60s protested and mm -hmm. stuff. I thought something was wrong with them. I still do mm -hmm. uh, think that way. Um, at that time, we had a different draft mm -hmm. type, type thing, and it was, you know, and I don't want to offend any of the listeners or not everybody was raised that way. Yeah. Uh, not everybody wanted to be in the, in the fighting. Mm -hmm. uh, so they did. They would do choice of service to avoid that. Yeah. Um, in a polite way. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, uh, the Navy saw a lot less action than Army infantry or Marine infantry right. type type thing. Once people got in the military, there was a group that found a job that wasn't in infantry or the combat arms, mm -hmm. uh, armor or uh, uh, artillery. And I'm okay with that up to the point when you're a granddad, at least say that honestly. Right. I served as a, and I did my part. Yeah. It takes everybody to help us. Yeah, absolutely. Type, type thing. I wasn't that way. I wanted to be in the thick of it. Yeah. Uh, Barry Sadler's Green Beret song came out, and I was overwhelmed with that. And John Wayne came out with the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, what I did was volunteer for the draft at the time, okay. that draft of those years. Actually, it was an enlistment incentive in that uh, draftees only had to serve two years and then you had a reserve or guard time. Okay. With volunteering for the draft and volunteering for Vietnam or Korea, mm -hmm. okay, the uh, draftee what happened is you went to infantry basic, infantry, infantry advanced training for Army. That was called Tigerland at the time. Mm -hmm. 
You had 30 days off. You went to an infantry battalion because of the high casualty rate. They needed fill fillers. Uh, if you survived that, you came home and went home. So less than two years, you could get out with full VA benefits, right. have it done, did your duty, and on going with life. For me, I wanted to be uh, – we called it special forces. Uh, in those days, you did not mention Green Beret. That was your hat. Right. Uh, they were a lot more private. Uh, some of the mottos for the different groups were the uh, uh, quiet professionals. For sure. Yep. They uh, were, were because of the seek top secret work that they did didn't need to be public information yeah. at that time. Um so uh, I did that uh, infantry basic AIT at Tigerland at Fort McClellan, Alabama. Hmm. Uh, at that time, uh, we had uh, a choice to go what they called Instant NCO Academy. Uh, the older sergeants called it Shake and Bake because hmm. uh, you went 12 weeks. It was all infantry. It was aimed right at Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh most of the TAC NCOs were Vietnam veterans uh, of that battle. And I don't want to confuse with the word veterans. They had done mul- one or multiple tours in Vietnam as infantry sergeants. Okay. Okay. Uh, the training was good. Uh, we, they were trying to help us know what to do when we got there. We transitioned from M14s to M16s is oh, a good wow. good example. Yeah. There was more live fire. There were live, more live grenades, that, that kind of, of training. And then afterwards, they'd hung out with us and told us what helped them. Mm-hmm. We were blessed. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was good. Well, uh, just on a humorous note, they did not teach us, because of range safety, they did not teach us rapid change of magazines. Oh, wow. The NVA taught me that. Yeah. Uh, it can be done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's important. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> during that time, because I qualified for OCS in West Point, I turned West Point down because a girlfriend was pregnant at home and we were going to get married. And oh, we wow. did. Uh, so went to OCS, same thing, 22 weeks, all about an infantry platoon leader. Mm-hmm. And the TAC officers there were uh, all... The very most of them that I encountered had already been at, at least one tour. Okay. Wait, waiting to go back, back type thing. Jump school after that, uh, special forces training popped up. Mm-hmm. Uh, volunteer. I, I volunteered for uh, – I knew I was going to be an infantry officer, but I, I wanted to be in the 196 because I thought they had a good-looking patch. That was <laughs> my, my mental state. That's why we all do it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Medicare Mentors. When it's time to consider your Medicare options, it's time to talk with Medicare Mentors. Medicare Mentors, powered by Spark, is veteran-owned, a long-standing Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center partner, and the Veterans Voice podcast channel provider. More than that, they go above and beyond to make sure that when you need them, they are there lending a helping hand. Medicare Mentors, powered by Spark, always above and beyond. Visit MedicareMentorsLLC.com for more information. The Veterans Voice is sponsored in part by Optum and is produced in the Optum Podcast Studio. Optum and Mountain View Medical Group offer 15 clinics throughout the Pikes Peak region. Their primary and specialty care doctors provide quality, patient-centered care backed by Optum's industry-leading health services and technology. 
They're dedicated to helping our community live healthier while keeping care affordable. Visit Optum.com slash Colorado to learn more and schedule your appointment today. But my roommate uh, was prior service and he grabbed my, uh, I think it was a 1049 volunteer statement paper right, right. or something like that. You idiot! You you know you want to, and he filled it out, and sure enough, I went to special forces oh, officer wow. training. Yeah, cool. Jump school, and then officer training. That was twelve weeks at that time. Yeah, I want to I want to dive into that. Yes, deep because I I obviously went through in two thousand and fifteen. So I want to hear the difference uh, between the Q course now versus then. But before that, I kind of want to ask you about your home life right before joining the military. Okay. So maybe sure. some like values instilled by your father or mother or just family in general that kind of mm -hmm. guided you towards making the decision to join the draft and then carry those same values throughout your time in the military. Okay. Uh, basic dad was a blue collar worker. Mm -hmm. uh, he was what they call an operating engineer uh, that he was the controlling supervisor at the big power plant Drake that they just tore down here okay. in, in Colorado Springs. Um, he was a high school graduate of Palmer High School. And uh, it's kind of like a lay supervising position, NCO, IC sergeant in charge type NCOC, level. Yeah. Mom was a seamstress at Bain's Men's Store. And I want to come back to that later. It was a, the, it, at that time, the finest men's store in Colorado Springs for business suits and things. Right. It was not like a J.C. Penney suit at all. Yeah. It was it, those who had money went there to dress appropriately cool. type thing. Uh, church was not strong with us, but the raising of the brothers, my two brothers and I, was. You okay. know, I steal or cheat. You mm -hmm. take care of your family. Right. Uh, family first, uh, state second, uh, nation next, mm -hmm. um, do the right thing and do it well, mm -hmm. uh, pride at work type of thing. It was important to my dad that one or all of us go to college, which I did mm -hmm. uh, later on in life type of thing. Uh, one brother ended up with Colorado Springs Fire Department of 39 years and months mm -hmm. type of a deal. Um, you know, those guys are brave every day right. that they're on duty. Yeah. Other brother were, <clears throat> was a maintenance worker for the city of Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. uh, the Depression, mom and dad were raised in the Depression, mm -hmm. very security conscious. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, no amount of risk is worth any amount of gain mm -hmm. was their ideal. The uh, security uh, of pay and benefits and a good retirement was pounded into our yeah. head, and we all proceeded exactly, right. exactly that way. Um, going back to church at the Battle uh, of uh, Iron Bottom Bay, off Guadalcanal, Salvo Island, where Dad's ship went down, um, he had a grudge against uh, Christian sailors. Mm -hmm. They were allowed to go uh, below decks and not fight, hmm. and he was above decks. Fighting, hmm. and uh, interesting. It was, it, it, and it stayed with him his whole life. Um, he mentioned it only when my uncle, because they served together. That's how my mom met my dad was through my uncle. Uh, they'd talk then, and us boys would would listen. They were fairly open with what they talked about. Even the 
the casualties, the sharks and mm. things when they went overboard. Wow. Uh, he was a staunch Republican and uh, <laughs> the irony of the situation when I listened to his, he wasn't angry. I, I'm thinking of the emotion he uh, disgusted maybe, mm-hmm. you know, why don't they fight? You know, I'm fighting, mm-hmm. the other guys are fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, I wondered about that, and then it happened to me at CCN. Mm-hmm. I had uh, a brother uh, officer, lieutenant, come, and he said to me, uh, I, I'm a Christian, and I have a wife and kid at home. Would mm-hmm. you take my mission for me? Yeah. I did, and then I had a grudge. <laughs> yeah, totally understandable. <laughs> yeah, I have gotten over it. Mm-hmm. Uh the Bible helped me there, right. and I am I am blessed blessed that way. Um, yeah, I ask you like kind of about some of your family values back in those days because uh, it was very easy for you to make the decision to go serve your country, and oh, protect yeah. the flag, you know. So nowadays, I feel like that's kind of going away. Like a uh, I eighteen think so. to twenty one year old boy does not want to go serve his country anymore. So I'm trying to you know, crack the code as to what's the difference between how we were raised back in your day versus currently, you know. I think the difference from my point of view only mm-hmm. is we were raised to help others, starting with family. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, if a brother got in a little scrap at school, you better be on your brother's side because right. dad was going to have an issue with it. Right. Uh, helping others uh, to dad taught us uh, – Friends or family, you got to choose, and you help your friends mm-hmm. if they need help, which money, effort, whatever it, right. it was, uh, you take care of each other. We were other-oriented instead of self-oriented. Mm-hmm. The only entitlement we had in those days was the GI Bill with an honorable discharge, if I remember correctly, type type of deal. The worst thing that could happen is come home with a bad discharge. Right. And I don't even know how many levels they had in, in those days. I knew I forgot. Yeah. Um, so the entitlement thing, we weren't self-oriented. At least I didn't think we were. Right. Uh, it, it, it was, uh, and we certainly didn't enlist or look at this. If I do this, I get all that, mm-hmm. uh, these uh, entitlements. And, and I'm not... I need to learn more about the entitlements available to the enlistee today. Right. I don't know. I'm glad it's fixed and it's better. They. I'm hoping you, yourself, and your brothers you serve with got a better homecoming than we got. Right. Uh, uh, and I believe the American people fixed that sure. and the American veterans that suffered it fixed that over the years. So right. I, I truly hope it's better. Did I answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And. Uh, there's the, there's that famous quote, it's not what your country can do for you, but you can do for your country. Well, that's right. Jack Kennedy gave yeah. us that. Uh, he gave us the Bray, too. Mm-hmm. And in those days, the older NCOs, the Special Forces was operating in the 50s. Mm-hmm. My first team sergeant was in a five-man team north of Hanoi in 1952. Wow. T- t- type of a deal. Um a lot of them and the Lodgeville soldiers, a Lodgeville soldier uh, because of Henry Cabot Lodge, mm-hmm. one of his uh, descendants pa- helped pass a bill where 
an immigrant could get citizenship by mm -hmm. joining the American Army. Right. Uh, Special Forces was after them mm -hmm. because of the language qualification and the connection, network connections behind the curtain. Also, the ones that were recruited, uh, you didn't have to encourage them to fight communism. Right. It was their only chance to fight for the mother country mm -hmm. and have a chance to help relatives that yeah. still there. So it was sincere. Mm -hmm. I can remember most of them were senior NCOs that I knew. If they were in charge of training that day, there was no jacking around. Mm -hmm. It was totally serious. Yeah. Yeah, we're, uh, my first team sergeant, uh, he ran the wire. Uh, they gunned down his wife, and he held his daughter so tightly that he uh, injured her spine. He had her holding like a football, you know, trying to mm -hmm. get through there. And she would be bedridden the rest of his life. Wow. Uh, his, he slept in the senior NCO barracks. That was his house. The mm -hmm. team room was his family. And uh, there was a tightness there. Mm -hmm. I recently heard from a, an active duty uh, NCO that uh, he didn't trust immigrants, uh, Lodge Bill soldiers, because he thought maybe they were infiltrators. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe today, but not then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they would tell you. if I mean, they weren't rude about it. They weren't overbearing about it, but... You know, tell me about it, Sergeant. I want to know what you went through. Right. You got a matter-of-fact old soldier briefing to a young soldier. Yeah. And you could do with it as you wish. Mm -hmm. Did I answer? Yeah, absolutely. That's very that's intense. Uh, yeah. I, the, the caliber of soldier back then versus what's being created today, it's definitely that quote I just said. I feel like now it's shifting to what can my country do for me? You know, I'm putting yeah. the uniform on. What are you going to do for me? I, I have seen that. Only once mm -hmm. in a National Guard soldier from another state. In fact, he was adamant and proud of that hmm. viewpoint. Uh, let me explain. Uh, I don't have access to active duty military because I'm a retiree. Right. Agent Orange came got me three years ago, wow. and I have a compromised immune system from uh, chronic clinical, chronic something. Anyway, CLL mm. leukemia. Sure. Let me explain that. It's not a death sentence. It will be with me when I die, but I have to live with it. Okay. Okay. So having a compromised immune system means I live an semi-isolated life right. type thing. I avoid Walmart, yeah. public schools for the most part, any closed-in thing with other folks. Right. Type I have to, yeah. a medical thing, but I have the internet, and I have ten acres in the Colorado Rocky Mountains, and I got hunting and fishing out mm -hmm. the gate. So yeah, I'd never leave. <laughs> <laughs> not so bad. Yeah. Uh, going back to why <clears throat> I did not want to be a sailor. Don't like water. Don't like swimming. Didn't want to do that. Uh, so it, for me, for some reason, it came down to Army or Marines. Mm -hmm. uh, and the draft, because of, for me, it was kind of like an offer of try it. If you like it, stick around. If you don't, you sure you have served your time, you completed your duty, and go on with your life, and you have your full B VA benefits, which being raised by Depression-age parents, those benefits are important. You got your schooling or your training and your home loan, it was an important mm -hmm. part of it type type deal. And that worked out for me. 
and I need to be careful how I say this, what did not work out for me because I was a draftee, mm -hmm. uh, five, I guess five, six years later, I uh, was, was rifted out, reduction in force. There were 5,000 people, mm -hmm. 5,000 officers on my uh, orders alone, mm -hmm. at least that's what we were told. And what it is, it's end time in service. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for helping us. We appreciate it. Uh, you have uh, 30 days in, and you're out. Mm -hmm. uh, where my uh, bitterness came was because I was a draftee, I was barred from enlistment. Mm. In those days, that meant you were put in a classification with draft dodgers, deserters, that kind of deal. And the sh I made the wrong decisions. Everybody tried to help me, my family. I was bitter because I thought I was at least good enough to be an E-5 sergeant right. type, type deal. Uh, in fact, the young lieutenant that signed me out of the Army, I had more time in combat than he had in the Army, you know. <laughs> And uh, um, I carried the chip on my shoulder about the size of a sheet of plywood <laughs> for quite a number of years. Uh, friend Drew Dix, Medal of Honor winner mm -hmm. from Pueblo, Colorado, tried my old team sergeant, old team guys. Everybody tried to help, uh, but I wouldn't turn it loose. Mm -hmm. That was my dream, to be a soldier. Right. And to be in special forces in those years, that there was no higher honor. Yeah. Type. And it was based on performance mm. of the, the individual soldier. Most of them, very most of them were NCOs right. type, type thing. Yeah, go into detail on the special forces training. How did that go? You said it was 12 uh, weeks. That was a, a form of embarrassment at that time <laughs> for the officer. Okay. Okay. Uh, our training was only 12 weeks long. You were supposed to be a senior captain having graduated from the career course right. because you would handle company and battalion and regiment type efforts as an advisor. So you needed that background. Okay. Mm. High casualty rate again. No, the, the qualification was do you have a pulse and do you want to go <laughs> there? So you away we went. There was no uh, selection at oh. that time type of deal. Most of the selection was done through individual NCO recruitment in the ranks, and they uh, they would strip the good soldiers out of the ranks in right. those days type, mm. type thing. In fact, my team sergeant got kicked off of Fort Benning because he was doing that, mm. and he wouldn't change gears. The garrison commander talked to him about it, and Paul would not change. Uh, to him, he'd build a good team with good seed, mm. and so he did that. In fact, as we reminisced one year after retirement for both of us, he was the NCO that gave the recruitment speech at jump school, mm -hmm. and, and I ran into him in later years. Um, I, how to put it, um, the John Wayne show, I know people made fun of it and spoke out against it in the 60s. Uh, my first team that I signed into in B Company of the 7th Special Forces at Fort Bragg, there were two guys there that were in, helped with that movie, mm -hmm. okay? One of them was the person who steps out and says, I speak these languages stuff, the one that says Norwegian, I speak Norwegian and working knowledge of English. That, that was true for him and some of the other soldiers at the time. It did a lot for all of us, whether it was Hollywood and fantasy. The actual 
events of the movie really did happen, and then Hollywood got a hold of mm -hmm. some of it. But that's what Hollywood does, mm -hmm. type thing. Uh, a fun note, uh, the team sergeant, Tom Tomlin, his job was the liaison for John Wayne. So every morning when John Wayne showed up, Tom was there with a Jeep and get him here and get him there and type thing. Well, one day there's nothing for lunch. So John Wayne says, what we, what are we going to do? And Tom says, how about we go home and have soup and sandwich? Didn't have cell phones in those days. <laughs> but, oh, so Tom drives home and John Wayne and Tom are sitting at the kitchen table when wife Anne, she, she was a German bride, uh, walks into the kitchen in her bathrobe with her hair in curlers. And she blew a fuse. <laughs> and Tom slept in the team room for about a week yeah. type, type of thing. Uh, so there was some humor to it. But we got what we got out of that was a way to get the information out of, of what, what was going in the entertainment right. way of, of, of Holly, Hollywood. Colonels did not lead patrols. Right. You know, the NCOs mm -hmm. handled that type thing and a few lieutenants. Type, type thing, and maybe a captain here or there. Mm -hmm. um, the, the basic question was about the training. We had one week with each of the MOSs, mm -hmm. type of, mostly familiarization, a little lightweight hands-on. The medic's going to tell us a few things. So that's where we learned to pack a wound with whatever we could find right. type type thing. Sticks and rags medicine. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes, believe it or not, we use foliage. Yeah. That's all we had left. They gave us one little personal bandage you carried on your web gear. Mm -hmm. The AK shot cleared through everybody there that mm -hmm. got, got hit. So you needed two and you needed one that was bigger. We did have blood expanders that, that we carried. Uh, the medics could start a IV under a poncho with a t pin light in their teeth, or they get started in a foxhole. Our fighting, most of it was done on our stomachs type of a deal because it was close in, right. in, in the jungle type, type thing. Everybody could give a, an IV, a blood expender. I think it was called serum albulum. I don't remember the name. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's changed by now. Hopefully for the better. Mm -hmm. um, after we got done of our five weeks familiarization, we had a couple, three weeks of O&I operations and intelligence of how it was being done and a little bit of how to deal with uh, your counterpart because you're not in command, you're advising. Mm -hmm. And then we had uh, uh, Robin Sage, I think was the name, and it was an FTX where we had an actual t team. And uh, they, a lot of the guys were coming out of the NCO training type of deal. And we had uh, regular duty aggressors, we called them in, in those days, op force right. type thing, and had an FTX, and that was it. Well, everybody else was in for 20, 30, or 40 weeks of training, and we're an E5 or promotable E6 was what they were looking for type thing. But they were also – casualties were high in those years. Right. So they had some lower-ranking guys in there. Robin Sage, that's like a – like a culmination exercise at the end of the training where all the jobs and ranks come together. Is yep. that right? Yep, out so in the woods. Yep. Was that pretty uh, – without diving into your time in Vietnam yet, did that prepare you? Kind of. Right. Um, 
the Army, it was like the other infantry training at basic AIT and the NCO training in OCS. They have a short time to pack in a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I want to be understood here. I don't regret or have issues with that training. But it's kind of like, uh, you know, we're going to... Uh, you can watch all the movies about swimming and diving off the high board, but when you're standing on the, then you go off and you hit the water, things right. are different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, type of thing. Or we're going to make a skydive today. Uh, we're going to teach you about all the technical stuff of your shoot, but when you're standing in the door, <laughs> things, yeah, things, are, things are different. Yeah. And the enemy is always changing. So if they're, <clears throat> you know, catering this training versus like on the current TTPs of Vietnam, mm. it's always going to be lagging a little bit. So it's, I feel like it's really important. The Special Forces course specifically trains you to make decisions in the heat yes. of a moment and not necessarily train you to a specific scenario. Would yep. you agree? Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and our we always had an attack NCO with us, tactical NCO. The ones that I was around were multi-tour mm. guys and then they were there to teach you something. They only had four or five days, and and, and they they did type of thing. And at times, even if you were doing a good job, they'd step up and say, you're dead or you're wounded. Uh, you, candidate, Bartlett, you're now in charge yeah. type of thing. And, and I do want to say we got training when we got in country. Mm -hmm. It was called a 1-0 school for the recon team leaders. And ours was called uh, the Hatchet Force right. School. The best training aid I had for the surface level things is a Ranger Handbook, mm. period. It really, I don't know what it is today, but there it was the the very best. And I was blessed. An NCO gave me one. I, I was blessed to have to know what to do. Mm -hmm. Rapid change of magazines. Right. Uh, we didn't have... Uh, we, they had the M16. They had a lot of the work out some of the kinks in, yet they had problems with ammo was too hot and gas ports and things. And they had most of that was already solved when I got there. I never had one malfunction, so I, I was very blessed. You're listening to The Veteran's Voice, presented by USAA in partnership with Opto, Medicare Mentors, Colorado Computer Support, and the WireNet Home Services. How about changing magazines when you're laying on your stomach? Yeah. We had 20-round magazines. We loaded 18 rounds because the spring wouldn't lift up ammo and cause a jam if you put 20 in there. Okay, that's a good thing to learn. Learned that when I got there. Uh, <laughs> without With 20-round magazines, uh, we didn't have enough 20-round magazine ammo pouches because they were transitioning from the M14. Mm. If you put them in there, they went in too deep. You had to put paper or cardboard or something in there to lift them up mm. that got soggy yeah. with with them. And when we, you put little tabs of uh, 550 cord, parachute cord on them so you could grab them, or you carried them in a canteen pouch. Mm -hmm. Canteen pouch is designed to carry canteen. Mm -hmm. Okay, to get the ammo magazine out, you have to pop one of the snaps well, what happens when you all of a sudden hit the ground? Yeah. They all fall out. <laughs> yeah. Then deal with it. Yeah. And you're in the mud in the jungle. Yeah. Okay. Then they went to 30-round magazines, and we didn't have anything for them either. 
type of deal. So it was a logistical, yeah. <laughs> logistical thing. And it sounds fun. I can relate to this. Like, man, my last tour was in 2021, and even then, equipment issues are always a problem. I don't yeah. have the right pouches for the right magazines. I got a optic for the wrong gun. Like, it's all just now more expensive than it was back yeah. then. But it's it, all still an issue. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would guess, and I would imagine, any high tech they add in. You have kinks to work out of it. Does it work when it's cold, when it's wet, when it's muddy? Yeah. You know, all those those things. Um, we had one car 15 at that time in the hatchet force because the priority was the recon teams. Mm-hmm. So the point man had the, the um, car 15 with a 30-round magazine. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the experience, but the, the platoon sergeant did. Uh, they bumped into NBA and... Our point man uh, put his weapon to his shoulder, turned his face to the right, and emptied the 30-round magazine, as did the point man for the NVA. Neither one of them hit each other mm-hmm. type of a deal. So you yeah. have little glitches right. li- like that. Uh, also, cha- rapid change of magazines when you're running forward, backwards, because mm-hmm. we're coming online to get firepower in a, in a platoon. So that means they're busting the grass and the jungle to get online right. and still reload. Right. Uh, what we tried to do was put the empty magazines down your uh, jungle fatigue blouse so you would have them type of deal because a resupply problem came in by parachute or chopper. If they kicked out a case of ammo... You had a real problem with no magazines if you lost your magazines. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did correct that, and we started when we got resupplies. They were loaded twenty round magazines, which helped helped us a lot. Type thing. Uh, the other issue was, uh, and I know some people have a hard time believing this. Uh, Paul and I. Uh, Paul was the E seven platoon sergeant. We called him the team sergeant. Um, We'd carry up to 30, ma- 30 of those 18-round magazines. Wow. Uh, the reason was the mountain yards, the ones we had, they're the soldiers fighting. They go through the ammo. Okay. I can't say that every time our fire discipline was good. <laughs> Their idea was put as much ammo out. Mm-hmm. You know, Hopefully they say it well in that movie uh, – uh, later on, they had um, about the team in of seals in Africa. I can't think of the title right now. Uh, you you got to have the ammo out there, right. and they hopefully is enough ammo. Uh, one of the reasons was if you had close air support coming in, the only way for the NBA to survive that was get to you because right. you had danger close. Mm-hmm. So they were coming in, oh, wow. and you had to put the ammo yeah. a- out there. The other reason for me was what can I do as a leader for my mm-hmm. soldiers? So you're going around, you're checking and redistributing ammo and you're checking on them and stuff. Give them a magazine. Mm-hmm. You know, could we, what else do you, I couldn't think what else to do mm-hmm. type of a thing. And it works. I, I'd even get a smile once in a while. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you or a look of wonderment. Why would you give me your magazine? Because I got some extras and mm-hmm. here it is for, for for you, they're the ones doing the doing the fighting. That they need the magazines, right. to, to, to type of thing. Uh, everybody carried a couple belts for the M60s. We had three M60 machine guns, which was a step up because before they had the old one, the smaller one. I don't remember the nomenclature. It was a Browning uh, 
7.62 caliber, looked like a 50, a miniature 50 caliber mm -hmm. machine okay. gun. Okay. Uh, the reason I changed there is um, Dick Meadows is one of our legends. Uh, there's, I don't think, how to put it, there's no one man that's a legend of special forces, but he put a couple letters in the phrase. He, right. every, they have a statue of him at Fort, Fort Bragg. Uh, he was asked one time, uh, hey, Dick, how do you break contact? He said, I don't break contact. That's why we have M60 machine guns. Mm -hmm. I took that up. So we had three like with 20 guys. I like it. And when they, we came online, we, we could put some firepower. Absolutely. Uh, we had M79 gunners right. with the old break action shotgun type thing. Uh, it took a while to iron that out. The first ones... Uh, uh, had a point detonating round, which the first thing they touched, they detonated. Well, in the jungle, they're going to bust some brush before they get to where they need to be. Mm -hmm. So they had this come out with a spin one. That, that was better. They also had one with darts in it. That wasn't worth anything. Uh, mm -hmm. The darts were too light to go through the jungle, and there wasn't enough of them. The best thing was the M16, wow. it, it, for us anyway. Oh. And it hasn't come very far. We just have the M4, which is essentially the same rifle. Uh -huh. uh, it's just you can modify it a lot more. Yeah, add more rails and things. Yeah. And, and, and that's good. I'm, I'm glad to see technology come in if it works. Right. If if it's some type of extra money for whoever got the contract, exactly. no. Yeah. And the only way we can test it is get it out there and test it mm -hmm. type, type thing. We had night vision, but it made a green light about the size of the old fat flashlight. Right. Yeah, well, try to talk a soldier into putting that up to his head and looking around. <laughs> yeah, when the enemy's actively trying to find you 100, 100 feet away, yeah. probably. Yeah, yeah. Are, thank you for the target, yeah. you know. So we... Night vision's come a long way, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, we... Starlight scope. In fact, they had that in the John Wayne movie. It was just too heavy. Right. Uh, we had the law we carried, oh, nice. mostly for busting bunkers. Mm -hmm. That's a rocket launcher? Yep. It was collapsible. Mm -hmm. Seven, uh, can't remember, 2.75? I think so. Yeah, something like that. I I wasn't there, but when the initial ones came in, again, they had testing problems. Mm. Uh, well, the first ones fired by some of the guys at CCN, the front part of the tube left with a rocket. Mm -hmm. And the wire that goes across the top would cut your ear to the bone mm -hmm. and, and on the cheekbone. Well, then you had a walking casualty you had, yeah. had wow. to deal with. They got that worked out. Uh, they had a humorous story the NCOs would tell in the club about one of the guys. And I can't say his name. I don't have permission. But sure. he didn't know how to shoot it because he'd never been trained with it. They just kicked a case of him off the chopper. Right. So he's laying behind this big log reading the directions as fast as he possibly <laughs> What a time to be reading a book. <laughs> yeah. So he could shoot it, and he was one of the ones who got the cut yeah. ear in, in, his, in his cheekbone. Someone had to figure it out the hard way. <laughs> yeah. They say that. They, but they, they got it figured out. And you have a problem then, too, especially with a recon team. If they don't work and you can't shoot them, you can't leave them. Right. The enemy's going to get That's them true. for they'll sure. They'll figure it out. Oh, they'll figure it yeah. out. Yeah. So th those kind of problems. Wow. Uh, yeah. we, I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. No, it's okay. Finish your thought. Uh, for us, our world was different than a recon team. All due respect to five or six guys out there. With just one other American. Did we have some infiltrators? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure did. Type, type. That's part of 
unconventional war and guerrilla warfare. Right. We expect it to happen, okay? <clears> that takes a lot of guts, and they did it, they did it well. Um, but our world was different. Right. It would take three to five choppers just to lift us. Mm -hmm. That meant uh, multiple insert to get us in the small uh, LZs that we had in the Highlands mm -hmm. type of thing. Uh, stealth was not one of our issues. Time you walk a fully loaded platoon through the jungle, you got a path, a little yeah. tunnel and a path. You know? We always had trackers, mm -hmm. always. They lived on the few LZs. There were three of them at minimum, okay? They're going to let you in right? because they want you, mm -hmm. okay? Well, okay, so when we take off, wherever we're going, they follow us. Two of them follow us. One goes for the cavalry because they didn't have a lot of small type communications or they'd use shots you could hear them go down the the, the valley uh, when you sit down for the night one kept eyes on us and one uh, went to bring up the cavalry that the third the first person went to get and again we're not hard to follow mm -hmm. but there's information they're going to trade we would if we were doing it that way yeah we would have flankers and we would have trackers. Mm -hmm. uh, always, they were going to be. They tried to herd you, herd us to a place wherever they pushed us to. We tried not to go because that's we figured that's where they wanted us to be. Right, uh, a type of a deal. Um, we used to joke. Uh, well, E five, you want to be E six? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to be E six. Okay, fine. Well, uh, you wait here for the tracker. That's K bar work. We we want that tracker right. for information. Well, you don't get a lot of volunteers out of brave green berets to sit back there by themselves. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it was yeah. more of a joke than, yeah. you know, we did have some attempts to try to get them. Uh, we believe the, uh, most of the trackers were Laotian people that lived in those woods and they were good, right. really good. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, to get one of them, we did get sightings, but we never got one. Uh, if we got a prisoner in those days, it was a 30-day leave to go home. Some said there was a cash bonus, but I don't know about that. Um, also, NCOs would be promoted one stripe, and if they chose to, they could have reassignment anywhere in the Army. Uh, most of them shunned that part. They mm -hmm. were like, you know, 30 days sounds fine, then I come back and be with a team, you know, that, that kind of mentality, which was to their credit. Um, POW snatches, Dick Meadows was a master of that. I read his after-action reports when I could get them. Uh, we never got one, but we tried. Right. Tried to get them. And you have to look at it from the the enemy's point of view. They don't want to be captured either. Right. And so they fought to, to the end. We also had the issue of the areas we operated in. Uh, we specifically took a platoon that was an opposite in ethnicity mm -hmm. in that Vietnamese questionable, are they going to kill each other? Are Mountain Yard, Brew Mountain Yards going to kill each other? Probably not. Mm -hmm. uh, Cambodians and Chinese kill everybody. They don't have that problem. Uh, we wanted someone that would fight and would kill because mm -hmm. that was our mission that mm -hmm. we were in as a platoon type thing. So, so it was different than recon. And again, I'm not 
downplaying anything recon did. They had their own job and they did it. Mm. There's no doubt about it. So uh, a bigger group of people on a different type of mission, if we had a target to hit, we were going to destroy the target in the old fashioned shoot them up yeah. way, way to do that. Uh, and, and when we were carry appropriate amount of C4 or Claymores or whatever, we needed to take care of that target. Claymores were our main defense in a perimeter at night. Every single night, you dig down to the armpits type deal. And you wow. didn't have to tell the our mountain yards or our soldiers, whatever group they were, twice to dig in. Cause right. They were going to dig in. You yeah. couldn't even stop them from digging in. Type, type. You know, we never broke topsoil. Oh, wow. Not ever. Worms were bigger around than your fingers and two feet I long. I can imagine. Yeah. If, uh, one of the jungle, MC. jungle, right? Jungle, different. And in fact, one of the NCOs grew up a farm family. He said, these people had stopped fighting. They could feed the whole world with <laughs> this type of yeah. soil. You know, the other farms where he came from out of, I believe, Arkansas didn't have that much topsoil right. type thing. Uh, huh. I did want to share one humorous story. When I, I first signed in, I wanted to be a good leader and a good officer, you know. And uh, Paul uh, one day came up right after I got there. Oh, do you want to help train the soldiers? Well, yeah, heck yeah. Okay, you're in charge of knot tying. Because at that time, we were just starting to get stable rigs. And recon got them first. And so we were waiting to have enough for one for everybody. Um well, that's not exactly true. The medic carried extra ones for extraction mm-hmm. of, of wounded. Um, so I'm pleased to be included, you know, and as a 19, 20-year-old lieutenant, I, I kind of look like Buster Brown wearing a green beret. That's what my team <laughs> sergeant would say. Nice. Was the little Dutch boy, Pete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. So a source of amusement for the guys, right? Okay. So up I go. And, well, yeah, the three platoons are in a horseshoe formation by their platoon number and their ethnicity, Cambodians, mm-hmm. uh, Blue Mountain Yards, Vietnamese, Chinese. Okay. okay. So I start to try to explain how to tie a knot. <laughs> and then the three interpreters would go to work. Well, the soldiers, it was a typical initiation for any new officer. So the soldiers are trying to keep from laughing and the NCOs are watching, you know. And, oh, I see. Yeah. And so finally... It would seem like forever Paul stepped in and said, let me show you how we do this. And he was a person who could read, write, and speak eight languages. Wow. That time he could troop a company line, and every other step he could change languages, including American cuss words type, type thing. But anyway, um, he takes the uh, – we called it a Swiss seat. It was a three-quarter inch nylon rope. Mm. I think – what was it? can't remember how long it was, not very long, six, eight feet. You had to tie that in a seat around your groin area to hook into the 120-foot nylon line drop from the helicopter. You hooked in there, and then you hung onto the rope, and they could lift up four uh, guys okay. at a time. So like a handmade harness type? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Type. Also, we could tie Swiss seats together if we needed a longer rope for mm. whatever, which never happened, but we had he does an about face so you don't have the mirror as an image as a instructor. Mm. Without a word, he taught the soldiers how to tie knots. Watch me. Wow. 
hands over his head and tied the knots type of thing. And of course, I can't imagine the stories in the club that night at CC. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but there was a, a simple solution to a simple thing if you had the experience yeah. and, and the knowledge. Absolutely. And, Colorado Computer Support. Imagine never having to worry about your information systems ever again. Colorado Computer Support, the exclusive Veterans Voice technology partner meeting all of our computing needs. Colorado Computer Support is veteran-owned. They're your team for innovative, collaborative IT services and solutions to enhance and support your Colorado business. When you need IT services to keep your business going, make sure the Colorado Computer Support team is on your team. Call 719-355-2440. To learn more, that's 719-355-2440. Why are not home services? Every season brings a new strain on your home systems. Veterans Voice Partner, the Why Are Not Home Services, is the company you can count on to handle your heating, cooling, and electrical needs. They're family-owned, proud to employ honest, hard-working Coloradans. When you need plumbing, heating, cooling, or electrical help, the Why Are Not does that. Call 719-399-5021. That's 719-399-5021. Yeah, I wanted to clarify, maybe backtrack a little bit, because uh, you're starting to dive into like some of the stories in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So you had mentioned the five or six man teams. That was actually that that was Mac V Sog teams, and yes. then you had the Hatchet Force, which is what you were. So yes. Do you mind just kind of clarifying um, the difference between? Okay. The two? Yes. Uh, recon would be like a squad. Recon team would be like an infantry squad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, our configuration at that time was at least two Americans type type. They went by their radio call sign. One zero was the team leader type mm-hmm. ring. Most of the ranks that I saw at CCN were E5, E6s, a few E7s, an occasional officer once in a while mm-hmm. type type thing. It was squad recon type, type work. Then they would have, uh, I don't know, four, six, maybe... That I think that was the, the max because part of it was lift capability of the original Huey mm-hmm. and the altitudes and the highlands for lack of air for the, the bird to be able to lift up type deal. Um, ethnicity would uh, dictate some of the numbers too. I was told that some of them didn't like odd numbers and some didn't like even numbers and on and on. They they worked like putting a puzzle together to make all that work. Mm. Uh, most of the recon indigenous soldiers had way more experience and in the Hatchet Force than any of us had because right. they lived there and we paid a very handsome salary. They were mercenaries. Mm. Our privates made what I, I, I was told a lieutenant colonel in the – South Vietnamese Army mates. It was a very handsome amount of money for them. Um, Recon teams depended on on stealth and speed when they needed it type of a thing. Uh, If they got a man down, that was a problem type of deal. In the jungle, it takes four to carry them at least, four type. Plus you wear out because you have that person's rucksack and weapon mm-hmm. to, to deal with it. Uh, we had emergency aircraft, of course, um, to help with that situation. But you have to understand that uh, there was no artillery fans to provide help, no mortar fans. Uh, air came 
20, 30 minutes on a good day. Mm. They came from Vietnam. They came from Thailand. Mm. Uh, see, Da uh, Nang, Vietnam for the fast movers, the Phantoms. Uh, 101st Airborne supported us with rotary wing. It takes a while to get everybody going, even when you're waiting to go. Yeah. You know, uh, helicopters, uh, the weather affected them more, I think, than the other uh, fixed wing. We had A1E Sky Raiders. Um, they were a World War II fighter plane brought back in service and even brought reserve officers back to fly them mm. for us. They were, they were great. They could stay on station a while and carry a lot of ordnance. Uh, the Phantom Jets, uh, you're lucky if you get one or two passes because they were burning the fuel out. Right. They had to go home. They came out of uh, Nakhon Phanon, Thailand, Ubon, Thailand, and Udord, Thailand, as I understood it. Um, we were a ranger in the hatchet force. We were a ranger platoon looking for a fight. Okay. Okay. We had a specific target to, to hit or to verify. Uh, we were also the goat in some cases. By that, I mean the goat, they tie up on a stake so the tiger will come get it. Mm. And then the aircraft takes care of the, the approaching enemy. That happened to us almost every mission. Right. Uh, to, to mild harassment and until... Time came for the fighting type, yeah. type deal. Uh, we again, we didn't think of stealth. We we couldn't, you know, try and keep twenty some guys quiet. I mean, uh, impossible. They're, <laughs> yeah, they're they're we're working pretty hard just yeah. to get through the jungle, you know. Um, the recon people. I never went on a recon mission. I went on one five man uh, reconnaissance of a target we were to hit, and that was enough for me. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. I'm sure. Way too small. No, I was, I can't tell you how nervous I was. I, and also, we were separated from our platoon. The safety is the platoon, and we we went into, a, I keep saying perimeter, our perimeters were triangular because we put the three ma- machine guns on the apex. Mm-hmm. So if you had to, you could swing them and have a, a wall of fire coming, yeah. coming through. We never had to do that, but that was the plan. Uh I did do one mission with a company and it was just too big for me. Mm-hmm. How do you control it? I mean, a whole bunch of guys out there stomping around. and So the platoon made sense for me. We called the platoon. It was always in the mid-20s, how many people we could take. A lot of it depended on lift capability of air support mm-hmm. type thing. Uh, did I answer your, your question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, so I guess why, the way I'm understanding it is you have the recon teams and the hatchet teams. Yep. And if the recon teams got bogged down, you guys were coming in to Yes, we, we supported it uh, much. Have you seen the John Wayne movie? Yes. Okay. Much like the Mike Force mm-hmm. came to support the A-Camp. Okay. And they came in company and battalion. They even made airborne insertions. Mm-hmm. In John Wayne's movie, it's a, a helicopter right. insertion. Okay, rotary wing. Uh, we were platoon size. Mm-hmm. Now, they did have a couple incidences. It's, uh, one was at CCC, Command and Control Central, used a company to block one of the roads on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And uh, so they had that would be a company operation. That was the famous thing of... Tailwind movie, uh, not, I don't know if it was a movie, uh, documentary mm-hmm. t- t- type of a deal. Uh, so for, for us, because of the terrain, we were different 
the mountains a little bit different from CCC in the middle and command control south dealing with rice paddies and flat terrain, that kind of thing down there. Uh, also, it depended on how much air support we could get. You remember, they didn't have the special ops type huge unit. We had to coordinate with, in our case, with 101st Airborne. On my last extraction was hot. Uh, we had wounded and dead, and uh, I called a prairie fire, which was that meant we're in trouble and we ain't gonna make it. We need help. We had what we call it was a C-130 aircraft with a command officer. I believe it was general grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, was always in the air, and they could divert much. Uh, we had four. Uh, Phantoms on station once they got there. We had six A1E Sky Raiders. They ran them north and south and east and west, so you don't have mid-air collisions type thing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't learn until three years ago that the 101st showed up with over 100 rotary wing to pull us 22 guys out type, type thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, praise the Lord and thank goodness the only reason I'm here is rotary wing and fixed wing pilots and crews and their incredible courage. Right. Uh, the cornfield that we were using for an extraction LZ, the locals had cleared it, the jungle, mm-hmm. but they left the tree stumps about five feet tall or six feet to keep the choppers from landing. Right. Okay. Which meant dead and wounded, you had to press them up far enough for the chase medic to grab them and drag them in to the Huey wow. type of deal. He was on a monkey strap so he wouldn't fall out right. type thing. And thank God for strong men, you know, to <laughs> pull them up type thing. Uh, that meant the chopper had to hover even longer at that height Well, the lo- wounded was loaded. I was in the last loadout. I pushed Paul up, the chase medic, I wish I could remember his name. Uh, he grabbed Paul and got Paul in. The whole time that bird's taking rounds, okay, and uh, to demonstrate or express the courage and the gratitude. Uh, bullets were, were going into that bird, like everything. But that pilot, I can still remember looking over my left shoulder at him, and he's just sitting there cranking on a stick with his eyes out the front of the bird. When we got back, the door gunners and the and the co-pilot were dead. And I was told there was over 200 holes in that chopper. Wow. He sat there and toughed that out. Mm-hmm. And here's the, the amazing part. When we landed any of the chopper pilots, if their bird was damaged, just he he did it and they all did it. They walk over and get in another bird mm-hmm. and go for, go back wow. to get another load type of thing. That's guts. Yeah, absolutely. That- <laughs> That pilot, there's a. I can describe something. There's a, and you can attest to this. I'm sure. There's a moment of clarity when a human being accepts that it is possibly about to die. Yep. And I think that pilot was probably sitting there, knowing at any second a bullet could go through his engine, through his head, through anyone on that bird, and he just had that clarity. He was doing his job. He knew yep. he was doing the right thing, so he continued doing it, and he survived and because the, of it. The honor of having done the right thing, regardless of the outcome. Right. Type, type thing. I, uh, for us, we, we seldom if ever got a chance to thank them. Mm-hmm. They, they touched down long enough for us to unload, and they went to refuel to go another trip, you know, or, 
or a fixed wing goes by at how many hundreds of miles an hour. Yeah. And they're out of, in an air base in another place or country. Yeah. And so in the last few years, I, I've made it a vendetta. To, if I meet those kind of veterans, I'm yeah. going to thank them for sure. Yeah, right? absolutely. I understand that as a medic. I've given however many casualties to a Blackhawk and – there goes my casualty. I hear they survive, and I don't even know who the pilot was, the medic was, or anyone was. And uh, yeah. I owe them everything because yeah. they picked up where I uh, left off and saved their life. You you have one more pleasant, very pleasant surprise and blessing coming to you, young man. I'm going to call you that because <laughs> I, I, I am the elder. A uh, number of years back, Max Sog got the presidential unit citation. 2001, after the, right? Yep, yep. Yep. After the 25 years went by for security. Mm -hmm. Okay. I went to that. I was in the Colorado National Guard Special Forces Battalion at the time. And the Army put out an all call for anybody who was remotely connected to the military. All expenses paid. Please come. So it ended up there was 13 of us. Hmm. I'm the one on the extreme right, if you look at the pictures type thing. Um, at that ceremony during the social times, I got to meet guys I threw on the chopper. And you say incredible stuff. You know the game. We'll see you there. Here's some cash. Stick it in your pocket. Mm -hmm. You know, love you, that kind of thing. And you know you're both lying. Yeah. <laughs> just doing it. <laughs> just doing it to try to do make them feel better. For sure. Bitter. Yeah. And uh, I got to meet them and their families. No in way. one case, their kids and grandkids at that ceremony. That's amazing. That's waiting on you, Mittick. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's a good feeling. Don't avoid it. Yeah. Soak it up if you get the chance. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't <laughs> avoid it. At, I mean, I guess I'm technically a retiree. I'm 31 years old, but I don't feel like a retired vet. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, good. But when I see, you know, the guy wearing a hat like yours at uh, Costco, I was just there with my girlfriend the other day. I saw a guy with a Vietnam ribbon on a hat, yeah. and I, like, talked to him for five minutes, said, thanks for yep. your service. You know, I know yep. my father was in Vietnam. I just take the opportunity to talk about Good it. Good for you. we all have to. It's much appreciated from the elder. Ian. Absolutely. It really is. Don't don't pass it up. Oh. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, well accepted, especially with Vietnam bits because mm -hmm. of the issues we had in the culture. Absolutely. You're at, never welcomed back at properly. Time. Uh, one of the things towards the end of the interview I wanted to bring out, so help me remember when we get there, mm -hmm. uh, in your retirement, make it count. Mm -hmm. Don't stack arms. Don't pile guns and quit. Mm -hmm. uh, stay off the booze. Stay off the dope. Keep that good woman with you, yeah, and and going, and then somehow put some frosting on the cake to help the younger guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I guess I probably said it, and we don't have to say it again. Yeah. But well, that's what we're trying to accomplish with this podcast. Is yeah, put that word goodness. out there. So, and I, I'm thinking the younger generation is open to podcasts. Absolutely, it type the technology and stuff. So for some of us, may may will. I know I took. A little bit of ribbing about having done one, you know. Mm -hmm. oh, you, now we have to do one because you, well, <laughs> old man, get off your butt and do something. <laughs> you know, you still, uh, my phrase is, uh, you aren't dead. You're just walking wounded because of age and whatever else happened to you, a person as they go through. And I, I got that again from, I'll say his name, Paul Mashad. Uh, he's in the last stages of Alzheimer's now. Mm -hmm. 
so he won't scold me for saying his name. Um, Silver Star with Oak Leaf Cluster. Wow. Four Purple Hearts. Wow. Yeah. Um, in that same extraction that we were going through, he'd been hit twice in the leg, AK-47 in the right thigh. One went clear through, one hit the bone, went down, lodged under his kneecap. The, mm-hmm. the cartridge did it. And uh, uh, so I'm trying to attend to him and try to shoot and stuff. Finally, he, he sticks his fingers in the two holes. And he says, Lieutenant, I'm not dead. I'm just wounded. Uh, start fighting, you know, some kind of words like that. And finally dawned on him, yeah, okay, take take care of that. So from the saying, I'm only wounded, I ain't dead, and maybe I can't get in the fight, but I can stick my fingers in the holes right. type thing. And uh, they, uh, In fact, he, he would tease my children when they were young. Do you want to stick your fingers in my bullet holes? <laughs> just yeah. to tease them. So yeah. I like that saying though. I'm not or I'm not dead, I'm just wounded. You can yeah. apply that to a lot of things. Oh, uh, I heard it uh, a couple of years back from a New Mexico Santa Fe police officer on a traffic stop was shot and then the brother officers swarmed in to help and well, they were trying to help him, and he he told them the same thing. I'm not dead. I'm just shot. No, he right. said, just because I'm shot doesn't mean I'm dead. Right. Type thing. Yeah. Type thing. So it's, I imagine it's easy say, tough do, but mm-hmm. I've never been. My Purple Heart, I lost more blood learning to shave than I did. <laughs> <laughs> For my country, it was lightweight yeah. shrapnel stuff in the butt end, and that was a great source of amusement for the sergeants. They, That's funny. But. If I one walked in the studio today, he'd be sure that he mentioned that to you, so that <laughs> you would know it. Yeah. You know, they, uh, but uh, and I, that's why we speak out is for the people who really got hurt. Yeah, absolutely. It's not uh, for years. I wouldn't wear mine or have a bumper sticker or a license plate. Mm-hmm. And again, Paul and my wife, Jenna, we <clears throat> had a. A reunion, uh, New Year's time, and then Memorial Day time, and, and go to his place uh, because of his age and uh, health situations. I had a regular team room, which was uh, 30 feet wide and 40 feet long, and had an old-time jukebox and everything, our type music. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he said, there's 23 of us here, Max Sog guys. There's 18 of them got Purple Hearts. Wow. Some of them got multiple Purple Hearts. Mm-hmm. They all got Purple Heart license plates, Lieutenant. He, No matter that I got promoted, he still called me Lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Never would call me Sir because he hated officers. <laughs> um, why don't you have a Purple Heart plate? I told him because I didn't lose much blood getting it. Mm-hmm. And he said he called bullshit and or sorry, uh, uh, crap, he said, you're, the, you're a real talkative guy, and you're only one young enough to speak up for us. Mm-hmm. So get your butt in gear, Lieutenant. And mm-hmm. that's when I put the plate on and mm-hmm. yeah, t- type thing. For your brothers, not necessarily for you. I'm sorry? For your brothers, not necessarily for you. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's mm-hmm. all about them. Uh, if, if you need, Sometimes if you're feeling sorry for yourself, you call me. Mm-hmm. We'll get in the pickup, and we'll go to the hospital in Aurora, right. and we'll walk a couple floors. Mm-hmm. And as a medic, you'll Appreciate by then you will understand. Yeah, absolutely. How fortunate you are. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, we all just need to understand how fortunate we really are because 
that sign says it all. Uh, there's people who've really sacrificed a lot for this country, and to sit here in our nice studio with our coffee and water, like <laughs> yeah. people take that for granted. Yeah, and we're gonna have a good meal. We'll be warm and dry, and nobody's shooting at us. Yeah. And yeah, we may have a bad dream once in a while, or the Fourth of July fireworks startle us. Or sure. there's there's no easy road. Try to use the skills we learned in combat right. with the with the brothers to carry us through in a less violent environment. Uh, you know, be a good example. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to be on a corner in a war out set of jungle fatigues with a tin can cup of yellow pencils, you know, begging yeah. for money. No, uh-uh. You know, I, and I worry about so much entitlements for some of us too. Sometimes you got to grit your teeth and gut it out. Right. And there's, there are a bunch of vets doing that. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. We have some bad examples. The suicide thing is heartbreaking. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, what can I say? Uh, you know, in fact, I, I took some classes from our suicide prevention uh, agency in Woodland Park, their Tiller County in El Paso County, where they teach us what to say when you get the phone call. Yeah. It's hard, sir. Uh, part of it is lecture. Part of it is uh, role play your final. Uh, it's not really an exam, your final event. Mm -hmm. uh, you role play, and the instructor plays the part of the vet that's made the call. Right. And I, you, I'm sitting here proving how gabby I am. Okay. I couldn't think of a word to say. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to part one of our interview with retired Green Beret, John Bartlett. Tune in next week for part two, where John dives deep into his life after the military, as well as ways he's staying active in the veteran community of Colorado. Swim. You've been listening to The Veteran's Voice, presented by USAA. Veteran's Voice is a service of Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center and originates from the Optum Podcast Studio, located on the Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center campus in Colorado Springs, Colorado. The podcast channel is provided by Medicare Mentors. Computing Power is provided by Technology Partner Colorado Computer Support. Additional funding is provided by Supporting Partner The Wirenut Home Services. Veterans Voice airs on flagship station KRDO News Radio Sundays at 7.30 a.m. The podcast publishes Saturday at 8 a.m. and is available on all your favorite podcast apps. Very... This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Veterans, be wary of those who may try to exploit you for financial gain. Report suspected fraud at va.gov oig hotline. One thing that's making them feel that way. Mm -hmm. So you really just have to open their eyes back up to the beauty of life. You yep. Know? yep. There is, is something on. there yeah. to live for. That, Absolutely. That's exactly in the format they gave us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good for you. Uh, and, and God bless you for doing that. Mm -hmm. You saved a life. Uh, that's what medics do.